I'm still over in Crete. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Father, we just honor you. We thank you, Lord. We're living in great days. Days when you're stirring your church. Days when you're awakening us to great possibilities, great opportunities to advance the kingdom of heaven. Lord, today we open our hearts that tonight you would impact us. Tonight you would touch the depths of our being and stir us to arise and engage in the battle. Lord, we give you all the honor and the glory. Come on, let's give the Lord a clap, shall we? Whoa! Thank you, Lord! Thank you, Lord! Praise the Lord. Please be seated. Well, I'm, I'm still up there in Crete in the olive trees. That was amazing. I'm so appreciative of getting the book, and thank you for personally writing in it. I really just appreciate that. Well, let's have a look in Isaiah. I'm going to start in Isaiah. I want to just start with something in Isaiah 42. And I want to speak about reclaiming the harvest. And we're going to look into a story of a man God chose in a generation that desperately needed a warrior. And this man God chose, an unlikely person really, very fearful man, very timid man. You wouldn't have chosen him really, but God chooses ordinary people to do unusual things. But let's have a look first of all, just get a picture. In verse Isaiah 42, this is what the Bible says. It says, let them give glory to the Lord, verse 12, and declare his praise in the coastlands. Ha <laughs> ha, that's where we are. Now look at this. The Lord shall go forth like a mighty man. He shall stir up his zeal like a man of war. He shall cry out and shout aloud and prevail against his enemies. Wow. This is the God we serve. God we serve. When he, they came out of Egypt and Exodus 15, they cried out, The Lord is a man of war. Sometimes we get seduced by one aspect of what God is like. His love and His gentleness. We forget He's a mighty man of war. But this God we serve is not just the Lamb of God. He's the Lion of the tribe of Judah. A mighty man of war. The Bible is filled with war full in the Old Testament of natural battles but the Bible gives glimpses that the enemies they fought in the Old Testament were empowered by demonic hordes who sought to destroy the purpose of God in the earth then in the New Testament Jesus uncovers and exposes demons operating and then demonstrates his mighty power over the enemy he calls men and women everywhere to rise up and begin to advance and advances kingdom. We're going to have a look at a man in the Old Testament, and I want to draw out uh, just some illustrations out of this man's story. All of these stories, we've got something we can learn. In all of these stories, there are principles we can learn. But they always lead us to Jesus Christ. They always lead us to experiencing Him and allowing Him to motivate us, us to do something great for God. I want to just read in Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. And uh, we read in verse 1, Now the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them in the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, because the Midianites 
the children of Israel made for themselves dens and caves and strongholds which are in the mountains. They were hiding in the caves, dens, strongholds. And whenever Israel had sown, the Midianites would come up, the Amalekites, people of the east, would camp against them and destroy the produce of the earth as far as Gaza, leaving no sustenance for Israel. Their harvest was stolen. They would come up with their livestock tents, as numerous as locusts, both they and their camels were without number, and enter the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished before the Midianites. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. When they cried out to the Lord, God sent a prophet. Now you notice what happened, that a natural army is a, has entered into the land, the Midianites. The name Midian means to roll in the dust. Midianites had entered the land. They were inspired and moved by demonic powers. And Israel had no power to resist them because Israel was compromised by sin. Whenever we sin, we extend an invitation to demonic powers to oppress our life. And you can always tell when people are oppressed. You can tell by the fruit. Look at the fruit of this. It says here, they were in dens and caves and strongholds in the mountains. Instead of living free and able to enjoy what God had given them, they're in caves, dark hiding places. When I look around, I find many people are in caves. You can't see the real person. The real person long ago withdrew from life. The real person withdrew in behind hurts, abuse, painful situations, setbacks, failures, cursings, all kinds of things, and withdrew. And so you don't really see them. You just see someone performing on the outside. Jesus came to free us from such bondage so we could rise the men and women of the Spirit. God doesn't want you to be in a cave, cave of fear, cave of rejection, cave of uh, lust, caves of condemnation and shame. He does not want you to live in a cave. He calls you and I out of the caves to encounter His person and to come into a place of freedom. And then once we've become free, release that freedom for others. One of the sure ways you see people are in a cave is they find it un themselves unable to express freely worship God. They're locked up. That'll be addressed tomorrow night. They become passive. To be passive means you're shut down. You're not vibrant. You're not militant. You have closed down because of what's in your soul. Closed down, and what you've become used to has become the norm is not the norm. If you want the norm, have a look at David. David danced before the Lord. Free! his wife who was in bondage looked and judged it and despised it think about it she was barren he produced fruit and blessing I want us to have a look what happens here and we go down to verse 11 and it says now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree which was in Ophrah which belonged to Joash the Abrazite while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites and the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, Oh, well, yeah, right. <laughs> My Lord, if God is with us, 
Why has all this happened to us? Where are all his miracles, which our fathers told us about, saying, didn't the Lord bring us up from Egypt? Now the Lord's forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. The Lord turned to him and said, go in this might of yours. You will save Israel from the Midianites. Have I not sent you? Ah, Lord, he said, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest of Manasseh. I'm the least of my father's house. The Lord said, surely I'll be with you, and you shall defeat the Midianites as one man. Wow. And so we find in a time of national disgrace, national disaster, national defeat, God is looking for someone to raise up to change the nation. God is always looking for someone to rise up and make a difference. God is looking for you to rise up and make a difference. And this man Gideon, well, his name literally means this. His name, which describes his destiny, his name means warrior. His name means one who cuts down the tall trees. His his name means the warrior. Don't you like that? When you got born again, when the Spirit of Jesus Christ came into you, your name changed, your nature changed. You became a warrior on the inside. You became a man of war on the inside because greater is He in you than he that's in the world. There was something God put in you, divine DNA, divine DNA to go out and conquer and subdue and have dominion and change this community. God put it in your spirit. Trouble is, it takes a time for the head to catch up with what's inside us. Some of us spend most of our life and we haven't caught up with what God put in us. Because we haven't been renewed in our mind. Haven't let our soul be changed. And so this man had a prophetic destiny, just like you have. You are a warrior for God. You're a mighty man. And Joel, God speaks prophetically, wake up the mighty men. That's interesting. They were mighty men. They just were asleep. They were asleep, but it didn't change the fact of who they were. They're still mighty men. You might be living with struggles and difficulties and pressures and have things pushing in around you, but that does not change who you are. You are still a mighty man. You are still a mighty man. David didn't look a mighty man when he's hiding in a cave, but he was a king in preparation. Joseph didn't look very good when he's in prison, accused of rape, but he's a king waiting to emerge. Peter didn't look very good when he ran away when the woman said he wanted Jesus' disciples, but he was a king waiting for the Holy Ghost to come on him. What a difference the Holy Ghost makes. All through the Bible, ordinary men got the Holy Ghost on them and they changed. You need to make room for the Holy Ghost in your life. Let Him get around your life. Set you free to express the life of God. So I want you to see what happens in this. The first thing God says to him, notice He doesn't say, Gideon, we've got a problem, can you help here? The first thing He did is He points out His identity. He reminds him who he is. The church is like Cinderella. It's fallen asleep. It's not Cinderella, it's the other one. The one that fell asleep. Sleeping beauty. Fallen asleep. Waiting for the kiss of the king. Church, God is awakening us. He's awakening us to remember and discover who we are. 
Gideon, you mighty man of valor. That's who you are. You may not feel like it, of course. You may not even look like it. You probably don't. You get up and look in the mirror. And you look in there and you see you know, lacks and neglects. The trouble is we see according to our past. We see according to things of the present. But when God looks on you, He knows that He's made provision for your past failures, and He looks and He sees your potential. He sees what you could be. He sees His design in you. He sees His DNA in you. He sees His imprint on you. He sees the destiny in your heart, and He says, You mighty man of valor. That's how God sees us. The world doesn't see us that way. Because the mighty men of valor are hiding in caves. Caves of depression, of rejection. That's all evidence that we've been defeated. That it doesn't change who we are. And you may be tonight struggling with some area of defeat. It doesn't change who you are. You're still a mighty man of valor. You may be asleep and haven't woken up yet. You may be struggling with bondage of various kinds. and Whatever it is, you're still a mighty man of valor. You're just, waking to, you're just waiting to know who you are. So God doesn't even go into all the problems. He said, God is with you. The mighty Lord, the creator of heaven and earth is with you. Jesus said, I will be with you. This mighty God who raised Christ from the dead put his spirit in you. In you. Waiting to break out in rivers of life. Creativity. Influence. So the first thing is, we need to embrace who we are in Christ. Begin to live out of what God says about you. People, when they describe you, usually describe you in terms of your past or your present, but God calls you who you could be. Potentially, the seed can be a great tree. When you look at a seed, it doesn't look like a great tree, but it's only a matter of time and nurture, and it becomes a great tree. And that's the same with you. It's only a matter of time and nurture, and you become a great tree. It's only a matter of time and nurture. The church of Jesus Christ begins to rise up within the nation. Just forgotten who we are. Forgotten who we are. See, so you notice God takes no notice of the excuses. God just says it the way you are. You're a mighty man. Why are you a mighty man? Because I have joined you to myself. You are royal blood. You're born again into a royal family. Father's seed, an eternal incorruptible seed, is inside you. So we need to say, we need to agree with what God says about us. Instead of what our past said about us. Instead of what our, the accuser says about us. Instead of listening to the lies of the devil, which drive you into a cave of fear, listening to that stuff, your soul gets depressed and get down and defeated. We should be listening to what God says. Mighty man of Allah. This is the first thing we notice. Notice the second thing that God said. Well, of course, he comes up with some questions. Now, some questions God doesn't actually answer at all. Why? Why, Lord? You'll never get an answer for that one. He just doesn't answer it. He'll never answer. But why me? Well, why not? See, God doesn't answer that kind of question because it's full of self-pity and unbelief. He, asks, he answers different kind of questions. What do you want me to learn? 
What do you say I can do? How do you want me to respond? Show me in dreams and visions what you've called me to. See, now that's more like it. So God just ignores it, ignores the question like it was never asked. See, same with Moses. Moses was called to go and be a mighty deliverer. Go and tell my people, let my, Pharaoh, let my people go. Yeah, well, they wouldn't listen to me. You know, God just kind of rides over everything. I'm not very good at talking. I'll give you someone to stand alongside you. You can be your mouthpiece, but you will talk. Well, they won't listen to me. I'll be with you. You see, God had a destiny for him. And he has it for us. So number one, we need to embrace who we are in Christ. What the Word of God says we are. You were born again. You're a royal blood. You're a priest unto God. You're a king unto our God. You are born of the Spirit of God. You carry the an eternal seed. Need to agree with what God says. Then what else does He say to him? He says, "Go in this might of yours. You will save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have I not sent you?" Now we need to embrace God's purpose. Every person has got a quite unique purpose. Notice the heart of God. Heart of God. It's to send people. In the New Testament, that would be apostolically commissioning you to go and represent the kingdom of God and to bring deliverance, release, and freedom in the community in the sphere you have. Think about that. Go in this might of your... I don't feel I've got any might. I feel weak. I feel this, I feel that. Of course you feel that. Your, th- your head's not operating right. If you were to direct your mind to what God says, and you were to begin to meditate daily, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that same mighty Spirit of God is within me, quickening my mortal body, leading me and directing me. Well, you'd think differently then. You'd become conscious God is with you. Most people don't live conscious God is with them. We live conscious of our feelings and struggles and failures and the pressures of life. We live conscious of them. They're very real. But you can direct your mind somewhere else. You can direct your mind to what God says. I am with you. And if Almighty God is with you, imagine what you could do. It's the feeling of being on your own is the problem. Feeling of being small. Feeling of being lacking ability. But since when has God ever worried about ability? God chooses the foolish. Chooses ordinary people. He loves to do it. He chose you. Why don't you begin to rise inside and accept what God says? I am a warrior. I am a mighty man of God. I am a king in the earth. And God has called me into that workplace to make a difference. God has called me into the community to make a difference. God has called me into the school to change the school. God has called me. That's what I'm, God has sent me. Do you see that you are a sent person? If you have a job, how many would say God gave me the job? Well, if God gave you the job, He also sent you there to accomplish something. Oh, I didn't think of that. I thought He just wanted to help me out and make sure I could feed every week, you know. No, no, no. That's the secondary benefit. Primary benefit is God has a kingly ambassador in that place. And it's you. 
And it's up to you to find out what God wants to do through you. You have become, the, if you're the only Christian in that business place, you're the pastor of all those people. You are the gateway for heaven to invade. You are the gateway for the blessings of God to come. You are the gateway through which the Spirit of God can flow. You are. Oh, I don't feel like I'm a gateway. Stop, stop, it, stop thinking like that. Start agreeing with what God says. You are a gateway for heaven to come into the earth through the words you speak and what you believe in your heart and what you do. You are a gateway. Gateway into your school, a gateway into the community. Wherever you are, you are a gate for heaven to come to earth. How else is the gospel going to go to the whole earth? How is the glory of the Lord going to fill the earth except it be through people who are a gateway for God to come, the kingdom to advance? Well, there's practical applications of that too. We'll just get moving a little further and we'll get to some of those. So you have to embrace your prophetic purpose. Notice he said, I'll be with you. You'll defeat the Midianites. Now what Gideon's thinking of, Philip, this is too hard. Look at all the problems. Look at all. Look at that whole army. This is all too big. I, I'm too small. I can't do it. Now we have to reshape how we think and see God is with us. We can make a difference. So we have to meditate in what God did what God did through the lives of ordinary people who responded to him. What God can do through you. If he did it through other people, he can do it through you. If he did miracles through other people, why can't he do it through you? I don't know. Maybe it's not for me. Hey, listen, Jesus said, if you believe all the works I do, you will do these works also. It's a matter of believing. Believing in our heart. Now, you notice the next thing he does. The first thing, he had to come to grips with embracing identity. Second thing he had to do was come to grips with embracing the call. Don't complain about your workplace. You're called there. It's your place of ministry. Don't complain about the school. You're called there. It's your place of ministry. Don't complain about something God wants to bless. You'll curse it. Start to speak blessing. Start to speak life. Start to decree, declare, begin to act as though you are a king bringing revelation in life. I used to do that in the school I worked at when I was a young Christian. I used to walk through the school when no one was there. Sometimes I walked through it at night so I could feel the atmosphere. Not be intimidated. Rise up, begin to pray strongly in tongues, begin to make declarations. God would move in this place. In the classroom, speaking every day. God will move in this place. Being a gateway for God to come. And then over a period of time, seeing people come to Christ and get saved and the atmosphere changed, work productivity went all up, everything changed. See, you can influence. But you've got to know who you are, what's inside you, and embrace the core. You're the one to pray for the place. You're the one to speak. You're the one to initiate. You're the one to act. You're the one. Tell someone, you're the one. Come on, time to do something. Something a bit different. Notice the next thing he did. Yeah. He said, uh, verse 18, Don't depart from here till I come and bring before you my offering. And so Gideon went and prepared a young goat and unleavened bread from an ephah of flour. And then he, he laid out an offering. And verse 20, put it on a rock. And then the angel Lord held out the end of his staff, touched it and whoosh. Oh, that's great. I love to see that. Whoosh, fire. But you know, there's only a few places in the Bible where fire came from heaven. And every one of them was where someone offered an offering. 
So we need to understand who we are, embrace that calling, then present ourselves and what we have for God to work through. An expensive offering, not a, oh, well. Listen, David said, David said this, he said, I will not offer anything to the Lord that did not cost me something. The first thing is our heart, to connect our heart to God and worship and abandon ourselves to Him, give ourselves to Him. Your giving financially reflects what's going on in the heart. Who really is in charge of your life? So he gave generously. It was a time of famine. There was nothing there. He gave an expensive offering, gave a whole kid, you know, in the broth. I mean, where would he get that from? He had to hide it from the Philistines, Midianites. See? And then, of course, fire came. Now, fire comes. I've noticed an interesting thing. And I've noticed that the fire of God comes when we do things wholeheartedly and passionately. You can be in a service where people worship half-heartedly for an hour, and it's just as flat at the end as it was at the beginning. There's no move of God. There's nothing there. Why is there nothing there? Well, half-hearted things never please anyone. I mean, have you ever had a kid do a half-hearted job? Did you really feel good about it? Were you blessed? Well, it's really blessed by that. You have a tradesman come and he does a half-hearted job. You were blessed, I'm sure. Gave him a half-hearted payment. He was blessed. <laughs> come on, think about that. That's not the kingdom. The kingdom gives extravagantly. And I have noticed, I was, I was with a group of pastors down in, uh, down in Christchurch. And, uh, and they, were, they were very depressed, very heavy. They had that same passivity and flatness you find in so many churches in New Zealand. People give a little bit, but they don't give too much. Yet you see them at the rugby match. You don't go in like that. And they come into church and something goes wrong. I don't know what happens. That's religious. That's a religious spirit. It's a heaviness coming over to shut us down. We don't need that kind of thing around here. I said, listen, I'll show you something. This atmosphere will change in about one minute. I said, 30 seconds, actually, if you'll all do what I say. I gave them something to do. The atmosphere in 30 seconds shifted. Spirit of God started to touch people immediately. Wholehearted off. Giving yourself. So notice the next thing that happens. There's an interesting part of it here. And so we notice then he built an altar. He built an altar. Now remember, God's desire is that the harvest that had been stolen is regained. He built an altar. An altar is a place of commitment. It's a place where commitments are made. Whenever they built altars, they were places of commitment, places of engaging God, places of covenant being formed. And so when he built an altar to the Lord, he is actually entering into be covenanted to the Lord what does that mean well it means something like this all I have is available to you and in return all you have is available to me so if you owned a hundred dollars and you entered into covenant with a millionaire where all you have is available to him and all he has is available to you who gets the better deal out of this one come on think about it But we don't think covenant like that. But that's what it means. All I have is at your disposal. I am committed to you. I am at your disposal. I'll be faithful to you. I will not fail. That's what covenant is about. So he made covenant. He entered into covenant. He entered into committed relationships. There's nothing happens without a commitment. A commitment to enter into relationship with God and make your life available for Him to work through in a new way. 
have that sense tonight God is calling us to do that to enter into a fresh commitment to be his representative in the earth to be a king in the earth and what does that mean? it means all that I have I make available to you now most people think in terms of a poverty spirit oh, I have to give up what do I have to give up now? that's what people think yeah, you know, the church will make you give up stuff come on, that's how people think I'm going to lose what I have you're going to lose what you have you can't take it with you anyway you're sowing into eternity the deal is I make all I have available to God why? because he needs someone who, will, who he can work through who's wholehearted and in return he promises all he has is available to me I will never never lack what a deal what a deal people don't understand it as being like that that's how it is and then God speaks to him here's the next bit this is the bit that perhaps for some might challenge us tonight and then he built an altar there verse 25 now the same night the Lord said to him take your father's young bull the second bull of seven years tear down the altar of Baal which your father has and cut down the wooden image or Ashtaroth which is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on top of this rock in proper arrangement take the sec- on top of the stronghold in proper arrangement take the second bull and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the image you cut down now Gideon took ten men among his servants and did as the Lord said to him but because he feared his father's household and the men of the city too much to do it by day he did it by night here's what God is telling him now notice God has said this is who you are okay we embrace who we are this is what I want you to do okay I accept the calling Lord now enter into relationship so I begin to worship God wholeheartedly because my life is now in his hands then I make commitment God I will be available to you a lot of people don't take it past there but here's the next step he's called to destroy the first place he has to deal with as a king is what's right under his very nose his own home personal life family life the first place God calls you to address and bring order now what is going on the people are in dens and caves and they're under demonic oppression why because they're worshipping Baal and Ashtaroth his own father has got a grove to Asheroth and an altar to Baal. And it's the center of the community. In other words, this is the stronghold within which demonic powers operate to subdue his family, destroy his livelihood, and bring people into bondage. The first place to start is in your own life. The first place to bring into order is our own personal life. And God says to him, I want you to tear down that veil. I want you to tear down that astra. I want you to tear it down and build an altar to me so that demonic power has got no foothold to operate. Many Christians struggle to be effective for God because they have an altar to Baal in their lives. I'll talk about Baal and Ashtaroth in just a moment. Let me just show you how this works. I was in a Bible school in Singapore this year. And we were teaching on uh, witchcraft, sorcery, divination, that kind of thing. And, and I'd been with one of the Chinese pastors in Taiwan. He said, oh, I don't think the Chinese are into sorcery. They're more into divination and things like that. I said, well, I hear what you're saying, but I don't think you're right. 
and uh, and I said I'll, I'll let Con come back to you on that one. And so we're in this meeting, and there's all these hundreds of students there. And notice this: these are students who've committed their life to learn the Word of God, to worship God, to serve God, and to be great for God. Okay. And then I had a word of knowledge that there was a girl there who was addicted to a certain type of video game where you take on a role and you play a role. And in this role, you go into a fantasy realm and you begin to uh, be a sorcerer and you use spells and curses and conquer people and you actually grow and enlarge your powers by these certain kinds of things you do in there. I said, who is that girl who has that problem? The girl came forward. And I said, the Bible tells us that... Jesus showed us how sin works. He said, "He said you can commit adultery physically, but he said, but if you look in your, if you look with your eyes to lust after a woman, you have committed adultery." In other words, the sin outwardly of adultery begins with the lust in the heart. So I said, now sorcery, which is the engagement with demonic powers to engage them on your behalf to subdue people or circumstances or life, begins. Firstly, in the heart. So if adultery began in the imagination, then sorcery too has access to your life through the imagination. So I said, when you got involved in that game and took on that role, you then began to engage the spirit realm and open a gateway in your life for a spirit of sorcery to come into your life and bring demonic bondage, oppression, and open the way for many other spirits. And she was shocked. And I could see the students were getting agitated. And so I said, I want you to do this. I want you to renounce that false identity you took on in that role-play game. And I want you to announce the game. She began to speak and renounce the game and renounce the identity she had taken on. And as she did it, she began to twist in her face as the spirit manifest. And then she let out a scream and fell on the ground. Demons came out of her. I said, isn't this interesting that someone is committed to serve the Lord and is in Bible school learning how to serve the Lord and privately has got sorcery going on in their life. They were shocked. So he had two to three hundred up on the altar call screaming and yelling and shouting. These wicked evil spirits came out of their life. They had altars in their home, in their personal life that no one could see, but God could see. And so spirits had legal ground to afflict them, torment them, and trouble them. And many of them, although they were serving the Lord, had these things in their life that were afflicting them, troubling them. Fears, nightmares, all kinds of issues, unclean spirits, confusion, struggles. And, of course, the culture is to work hard, so they just drove on to try and overcome it. But inside, they were tormented by spirits. Spirits gain power over people through doorways. There has to be an altar somewhere. An altar is a place of trading. It's a trading floor where you exchange something. You give something up in order to get something for yourself. When people worship an idol, they make an exchange. They give something to the idol in return for something back, which appears to be helpful or good for them. The problem is you don't realize what you gave up. You gave legal ground to the devil. And so you notice here that the whole of this nation was under the influence of evil spiritual powers, Baal and Astaroth. So we think, oh, yeah, what's well, Baal and Astaroth? Well, let's just describe it and then bring it into nearer today. Baal, the name meant Lord, 
husband. He was a God of the wind, a God of the storms, a God of the rain. He was also called the God of the city. He was worshipped as that. So they were worshipping the Lord. They were in bondage to a demonic power, this Baal spirit, the spirit behind this Baal. And one of the things that went on there, of course, they had temple worship. There was uh, male prostitution, female prostitution. It was all part of the acts of worship. That spirit was a gateway for sexual sin, uncleanness, idolatry, spiritism, occult to come into the community. It was an open door which it came in. And, of course, they think they're worshiping God. They're looking for their lives to be secure, but they're looking in the wrong place instead of looking to the Lord. So that spirit, when it's, at, when it's abroad, brings in homosexuality, lesbianism, prostitution. It brings in pornography. It brings in child abuse. It brings in a whole range of things. And the, the other spirit that's related is, is Asherah. And it comes under a lot of names. Ashtaroth, Astarte, comes under the name Queen of Heaven. Jezebel, when she ruled the nation, introduced these same two gods. The spirit powers behind Jezebel actually were this power of Baal and Asherah. And, and, the, and uh, the, the Asherah, or the Queen of Heaven, or that spirit power, was called the Goddess of War. Conflict, strife, confusion, division, difficulties, broken relationships. It was called the God of Sex was worshipped as a god of fertility again with all of the temple prostitution that went on. So of course, when people are involved in sexual sin, they begin to yield to that same spirit power that seduced God's people years ago. When we yield into the false comforts of sin and a whole range of things like that, we begin to open a door for spirit powers to bring oppression legally against us. Now, these are the people of God in dens and caves defeated, not understanding why there's no miracles. Tell you why no miracles. There's a whole lot of sin going on in their life that God wanted to deal with. They were under demonic powers. And one of the evidences of it, it brings oppression over people's lives, heaviness, confusion. And so these things were there. Uh, you notice here, they, they, it says, I want you to tear down the altar of Baal, which your father has. So it's not just something he had. This was a generational thing. It was in his family. It was a stronghold within the family that came down father, son, father, son, father, son, came down the family line. You would be amazed how many people are afflicted by spirits that are in the family and they come down generation to generation. Spirits of fear, spirits of adultery, spirits of lust, spirits of confusion, spirits of trauma, whole range of things within the family. Someone to become a king tear it down someone somewhere has to stand up and say we will tear down that altar to Baal we will tear down that thing that's got us under control we will change the spiritual environment so one of the things that kings always did was they rid the land of idols and idolatry for us what that means is we need to look at the issues in our life and what gods we may be serving as we yield to those things. When you yield to fear, you're yielding to a spirit. When you give in to sexual sin, you're yielding to a spirit. When you give in to 
anger and range of things, you're yielding to a spirit and gradually you come under its power. And so the first place that revival begins is with personal transformation. When you decide, I will not live with this anymore, you decide you will rise up and break out of that and tear it down. Notice that he had to build an altar to the Lord on the same place this thing was. It was called a stronghold. Stronghold is a paradigm you have in your thoughts. You can have a stronghold of anxiety, stronghold of fear, stronghold of lust, stronghold of heaviness. It's an area the devil has control over your thoughts and emotions and you cycle around the same sorts of problems and you can't get out of them because you don't know you've got the problem. So kings rise up. They know who they are. They know what they're called to do. They've entered into worship of God. They've made commitment to make what they have available. Then they deal with the issues in their personal life and family. Tear down the altars that have been there for generations. My experience is things come down through tribes. No matter what culture, they come down tribes because of tribal structure. Once it enters in at the top, it comes down the whole deal. They enter into families. They enter into communities. You and I, if we're wrestling with something and that thing is, you can, you can name it, you know what it is, you've got, a, you've got a responsibility to deal with it, confront it. Because, because we're so ashamed of what's going on, we find it struggle to bring it out in the open. But in the environment where we're loved and accepted and where God's grace is there, we can deal with these things. How do we deal with we, we deal with them through repentance. We actually have to come to the place where God... I repent of this compromise. I repent of trading away just to feel better, just a little bit better. I traded away what I could have done, what I could have been. I traded away some areas of your anointing and power over my life. I traded away blessing for a moment of secret sin. No more. Turning from that because I got a dream of making a difference with my life. So repentance. We need to actually in our heart decide I'll no longer trade and give away my destiny and the legacy God gave to me. No longer trade. I will repent. And I will speak words to renounce and cancel that thing off my life because spiritual issues are dealt with spiritually. I'll break its power off my life. I wonder what you're wrestling with that you need to tear down. Notice what he did. It says he took ten men with him. Sometimes to deal with issues in our life, We need to be involved in a group where we can share our heart with others, become accountable for the support, to let others support us as we get breakthrough. You don't have to go it alone. Elijah went alone and ended up in depression and suicidal. We don't need to go it alone when we're dealing with issues. We need to actually enter into committed relationships where we can be supported and encouraged and strengthened. Notice that he had fear in his life. What was he afraid of? He was afraid of the reactions of people if he would stand up for what was right. He was afraid of being rejected. He had bowed out. But you notice he found a way in spite of that fear. Got guys around him. Help me stand up. Help me make it, guys. We've got a mission from God here. Going to tear that thing down and make a difference. Going to get a breakthrough. Once he had done that, God's endorsement came around him. Notice what happens in verse 34. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. That mighty anointing came upon him. And he then began to blow a trumpet. It speaks of a prophetic message, a prophetic word that begins to influence people. He began to assemble people and raised up a mighty army. And when you read the story, they 
absolutely caused the, 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 the people, the Midianites to be destroyed. God was with them. But before he got national revival, he had personal revival. Before he had personal revival, he embraced who he was and his destiny and saw that this process of transformation is the vital step to emerging to destiny. And he let God help him. We could go into many aspects of the story, but I want to bring just to conclusion just around one aspect. I want you to go look back where this encounter came that triggered it all off. If you go back and you read in Judges chapter 6, verse 11, The angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak tree in Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezite, and his son Gideon was threshing wheat. So clearly this encounter took place under an oak tree. There's about seven places in the Bible where an oak tree is mentioned. And every time an oak tree is mentioned, an interesting exchange took place. The oak tree means literally, or the word literally means something like this. It means strength. It means leader. It means chief. It means a mighty tree. It is a graphic picture of the cross of Jesus Christ. Where our Savior, our King came from heaven and died on the cross and shed His blood to break the power of cursings, to unlock the lives of people and to cause champions to arise. God's champions emerge the other side of the cross. God's champions emerge when they have met with Jesus, encountered Him on the cross and made decisions to trade with God instead of trading with demons. The cross of Jesus Christ is a trading place where I exchange some things in my life for the goodness and virtue, life, power, destiny of God. The Bible says in Colossians 2.14, at the cross, Jesus spoiled principalities and powers. Legally, he broke their power. He destroyed curses. He took away all that was against us wonderful thing he did. I looked in the Bible to find out what happened at oak trees. I'll just quickly give them to you. Genesis 35, 4. The oak tree was a place where idols were buried. The cross of Jesus is a place you come to get rid of the idols that have run your life. Money, whatever it's been, reputation, fear of man, whatever it has been that you have served and bowed down to and it's controlled your life. The cross is the place you bury it. Here's another place in Genesis 35 verse 18. Deborah died and they buried her. It was a place of weeping and sorrow over loss. So the cross of Jesus Christ is a place you and I can come and the sorrows of our losses in life can finally be put to rest. Jesus died for our sorrows. Here's another thing about the oak in the Bible. In 1 Kings 13 and verse 14, we heard about it earlier on. This was a place of decision whether or not you fulfill the call. Remember, Bev, I think, was talking about it where the young prophet sat down under an oak tree and had a place of decision. Do I fulfill God's call on my life? The cross is a place when you meet with the Lord, you do business and make a decision whether you'll fulfill God's call in your life or not. The cross comes in the way of us doing our own thing. 
cross is a place where we surrender to the calling that God's placed on our life. Cross of Jesus Christ. Here's another thing that was found there in 2 Samuel, I think it's 18 and verse 9. It was a place where Absalom got caught, his hair got caught up in the tree. Now Absalom was a usurper, he was full of pride. And he tried to govern his own life and set up his own kingdom. So he got caught up in an oak tree and killed there. Isn't that interesting? Caught up by his hair. So the oak tree is a place where the pride of life is laid down. Where attempts to control our life, run our life, we surrender them and they're put to death at the cross of Jesus Christ. Pride is wanting to run my life my way instead of running it God's way. The cross, the place where we bow before Jesus Christ and surrender controlling our life and come under his lordship. Here's another thing. In 1 Chronicles 10 and verse 12, they buried Saul and his sons. Saul was a man who operated in the flesh and was defeated and died. So the cross is a place you come to bring your past defeats. You bring your defeats where you fail. Bring your failures there. Have you any failures? Why don't you just bring them to the cross? Bring them to the cross where the failure can be taken away and the shame of the failure taken away and something new can begin in your life with Jesus Christ. Perhaps tonight you've got failures that need to come there. It was a place in Joshua 24 where they made a decision to serve the Lord. It was a place in 1 Samuel 17 verse 19 where Goliath the giant was slain. May well be you have a giant in your life. A place to bring it to the cross. Let down your fears and let down whatever it is that's run your life and trust for God to come and help you. Finally, it is the place where you meet with God to embrace his apostolic call like Gideon did to go into a nation and serve as a king. The cross. I want you just to close your eyes right now. Just close our eyes like the pianist if you just come up and just get on the keyboard again. The cross is central to the life of a king. The cross is a meeting place with God. The cross is where we remember the great love God has for us. It's a place where we do business with God. It's a place of trading. And it may be tonight you've traded in all kinds of ways and ended up in bondage. God is calling you tonight. I know this is not the end of the conference. The end will be tomorrow night where there will be impartations and great joy. But tonight I felt in my spirit that this is a place to come and trade or do business with God. And I'm going to go through the list again. Keep your eyes closed. I want you as you have your eyes closed, I want you just to allow your mind and imagination of the Holy Spirit to help you. Go back for a moment 2,000 years and as you sit here tonight allow your inner man the imagination of your inner man to begin to see what is an eternal reality standing at the foot of the cross of Jesus I have when I've done deliverance told demons to look on the cross they scream like crazy so it's something they can see 
we think about it as something happened 2,000 years ago. But actually, it's, it's alive in the realm of the Spirit now. And you see yourself at the foot of the cross, standing or kneeling. As you look down, the ground is stained with the blood of your Savior. This blood was for you. All around the foot of the cross, the earth is darkened with the blood of our Savior, the blood of Jesus Christ. This blood was for you. As you lift your head, you see his feet. Huge metal spike driven through his feet, right through the center of nerves, so that every time he rested on his feet, pushed on his feet to try and relieve the pain that he was experiencing on the cross, all those nerves would be like a fire. This blood was for you. It's our Savior's blood. He gave his life to establish covenant with us that he would be our God and we would be his kings in the earth. As you look up Jesus' body, you see how lacerated every part of his body is by the whips that ripped open his back and the muscles and right down his body. Spikes of metal and bone threaded through the whip, tearing into his body, opening it up. But this blood was for your healing. As you look further up the cross, you see his arms stretched out and great spikes right through his wrist, right at the center of nerves. Every time tried to lift himself could feel this like fire in his hand on the cross people gasped to try and breathe there it is this blood is for you if you look you see the head of Jesus deep long thorns all beaten into his scalp where he took the curses that were upon your life poverty, failure, defeat what a love the Savior has as you look into his face he's been battered and bruised but in his eyes we see the compassion heart of God for people the heart of God for you the heart of God for your friends and family the heart of God for the city the heart of God for this nation as you look into his eyes they're full of compassion and love that's our saviour hear his words Father forgive them see what great love the Father has bestowed on us that through faith in Christ we could become part of the royal family of God but tonight 
it's a time for doing business with God. We were looking earlier on and just thinking about the holy of deliverance, but I just feel God is wanting us to respond a little differently tonight. I'm going to begin to list again for you those areas where people had encounters at the oak tree, the cross. And if God is speaking to you tonight about that issue, I want you to get up out of your seat, come forward to the front, and begin to surrender it to the Lord. Cross was a place of bearing idols. Do you have idols in your life that you've served? Things you've bound down to, yielded to, fear, anger, depression, bitterness, unforgiveness, lust. Things that you have served, money, opinions of men. Many things you should have done and you haven't done them really because you're under fear, you're serving something. Why don't you come forward now and just say, God, I want to put this right. I want to bury those idols. They're not going to run my life anymore. Just stand, just stand and come forward cross was a place of weeping over loss perhaps some of you have experienced loss maybe as leaders you've gone through difficulties and you've suffered broken relationships and defeats but it's a place you can come to grieve Jesus carried our sorrows he carried your sorrows just come to him tonight cross was a place of decision to fulfill the call of God and not listen to the voices of people Perhaps you've been listening to people's opinions. I found in my all my major decisions to follow the Lord, people around me disagreed with it. I had to make a decision courageously to do what God said I should do. Are you at that place? Don't be like the young prophet that, that did not listen to God. He let the voice of man persuade him. Voice of tradition, the voice of old things, instead of following what God was speaking. Just come. Come now. The cross was the place where pride was defeated. Pride was broken. Have you got pride operating in your life? Well, we hardly ever admit that, do we? But pride shows itself in a number of ways. Just straight out self-centeredness. We're really focused on ourselves and absorbed with ourselves. Pride finds it hard to admit failure at any time. Pride shows itself with defensiveness. Someone tries to help you and point something out and you react tell them to prove it or justify it oh pride needs to go tonight to the cross why don't we just yield to him tonight he loved us and served us there any others tonight perhaps this past defeats failures you need to come and say God I, I made a decision when I was defeated and failed I'd never go out there and try again I need to renounce that in a vow and turn again to you cross was a place where the giant was slain. Do you have a giant right now in your life? Something that's defeating you, causing you to be afraid? Why don't you come and face it? Bring it to the cross. Bring it to the cross. Bring it to Christ. The cross was a place where a commitment was made to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Perhaps today you need to make that decision. We'll serve the Lord. And I'm going to begin to change what I do in my family. I'm going to begin to bring my family into God's order and alignment. 
cross was the place where Gideon said yes and God used him to change a nation I wonder if there are any others you need to come tonight you need to come don't just do nothing make a decision I'll come Jesus thank you thank you for loving me thank you for giving your best for me thank you for pouring out your life to me thank you for carrying my sorrows thank you for carrying my defeats and failures thank you for dealing with my pride I humble myself tonight and confess my need for you thank you Lord you're dealing with all my defeats I don't have to live in shame of failing it can be broken tonight Lord I thank you tonight I embrace your call on my life I embrace your call to be a king I embrace your call to make a difference I embrace your call I embrace it tonight I thank you for the wonderful love wherewith you've loved us Jesus when Jesus died on the cross there was darkness over the face of the earth and tremendous power was released from heaven the graves were opened there was an earthquake God released mighty power at the death of his son to change the face of humanity the night as you surrender to him God is taking note in heaven there's a record written in heaven on this day in November 2009 these ones entered into connection and traded with me and I heard their commitment and that's when I began to initiate changes in their lives Father we just thank you tonight I'm asking tonight that you would pour your anointing and blessing out on every person here that's come to the front Lord your grace would come upon them mighty and wonderful grace thank you Lord your healing broken hearts removing defeats thank you Lord your glory is beginning to flow shame of defeat is being broken humiliation of various things that have happened being broken thank you Lord that your grace is coming in to flood hearts and souls thank you Lord you're hearing the agreement to serve you and you're responding and thank you Lord thank you Lord I'd like to do just one more thing I'd like you to just stand and just the ones who are up the front here and uh, we'd like to get some of the pastors and leaders to come and just lay hands on you we could go down a whole line of doing deliverance I just have a sense tonight that God is wanting to just impart to you and release to you and in response to what you said and have done as you've repented God heard it so just lift your hands to him and worship him right now just need some of the ministry team need uh, Steve and Tara to come and Joy and various leaders and past people who pray here in the church Father I just thank you for everyone that's come here tonight that's standing here before us Father as we lay hands on them Lord, the work that they began by surrendering to you, let it just have your anointing and blessing come upon it.
I need some catchers to come behind. I never know what will happen. We pray for people. The rest of the church, why don't you stretch your hands out right now. Just let God, just pray and be part of what God is doing. It won't take us very long, but let's just keep in an attitude of worship and spirit of worship for God to move in people's lives. Thank you, Lord. Can I have someone to work with me as a catcher, please?